This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. The 93rd episode of Play by Playcast. Thanks again, everybody, for joining us. Clicking subscribe or download or streaming us on whichever service you have found, be it Podbean or Stitcher, or right here on iTunes. When I say right here on iTunes, but if you're not listening on iTunes. Anyway, uh, if you get the opportunity to rate or review the podcast, please do throw a couple of stars our way. We certainly appreciate it. And hey, if you want to give us a follow on social media, you can do that as well. We are at PXPCast on Twitter. This is the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters, hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster. My name is Joel Gadet, and it's a professional development podcast, diving into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. Our guest today from CBS Sports Network is Brent Stover, and we'll get to him in a second. Uh, I just want to say something that I meant to talk about last week, and we kind of touched on it with the tournament, and I kind of ran down you know, some preparation type things, uh, going over like stat packs and things of that note, uh, or things of that nature. But I didn't mention just the fandom of being a broadcaster on the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Like everybody talks about the fandom of being a basketball fan for the NCAA tournament for the first weekend in particular, where it's like wall to wall, four games going on at all times, no matter what, from like noon to 1am. What about the fandom of being a broadcaster? Like, how great was last week? I'm watching Iron Eagle, and if I don't want to watch Iron Eagle for a couple of minutes, I can watch Jim Nance. And if I don't want to watch Jim Nance, I go watch Spiro Ditas, and then I go watch Andrew Catalan. Then I go watch uh, Carter Blackburn. Then I go watch Kevin Harlan. Like, oh my God. It is like the cornucopia of phenomenal for a weekend of college basketball broadcasting. Like, I'm the only one in the room who went, like, all hell is going loose against UMBC and Virginia and, you know, every other upset. People are going bananas. I'm like, shut up! I want to hear what the call is! Trying to listen to Ian Eagle! Like, that that, that was me last week. Uh, I just think, like, the, the nerd, the broadcaster nerd in us uh, really gets to come out last week when you've just got so much going on. And I guess it's no different, truly, than, like, an NFL Sunday. But in NFL Sunday, like, most of the time I got one game on. And I got, like, an infomercial on the other channel. Maybe I get two games. And, like, one of them is a bad game. Between bad teams. The NCAA tournament, you get high stakes, high tension, awesome games, for the most part, with top-of-the-line broadcasters. Which is what makes, God, that time of year, this time of year, last week in particular, just so much dang fun. Uh, and we will talk about that. A little bit with Brent Stover coming up uh, because working for CBS Sports Network, uh, he's across the hallway from the studio where where all the studio work is going on for uh, for the big dance. Pretty exciting weekend for me coming up this week too, and I'll I'll, I'll touch on this more next week because you know I'll be able to give you some insight. But we've had guests on this podcast before talk about working in a studio, like broadcasting games from a studio. Uh, I'm gonna get my first experience with that coming up uh, tomorrow as you listen to this podcast on time. 
going up to Chicago and doing uh, some Big Ten Network men's gymnastics, Penn State versus Michigan, and it is the first time I've ever done a game without actually being there. So I'm, I, I've heard stories, obviously, on this podcast. I've, uh, I'm probably going to go back and listen to some of the guys who have talked about uh, what they do to prepare for that. Uh, Ed Cohen, Adam Amin, I, I know for a fact, I think, talked about I know for a fact, I think. Uh, I know for a fact talked about it in their episodes, but I'm kind of looking forward to it. It's different. The weirdest thing for me was when I was doing the conference calls with the coaches. And, like, you usually end a conference call by, hey, looking forward to seeing you on Saturday. And, like, that's, that's not a thing that I could say because <laughs> I'm not going to see them. Uh, it also makes you hone your preparation in a little bit more because usually you get to the event, you can ask some questions of the SID or, you know, you need to talk to a coach before a game for a couple seconds. You usually can. Uh, you don't have that opportunity when you do it from a studio. So it kind of makes you lock in a little bit earlier in the process. Not that I'm not normally, um, but interesting side note and all of that. So I'll kind of have a report on broadcasting from a studio from my firsthand experience coming up on next week's edition of the pod. Uh, but enough of that. Let's get down to brass tacks with this week's guest, Brent Stover, who is uh, a Kansas State grad who has worked for the Big Ten Network and Fox Sports Midwest and then eventually CBS Sports Network and uh, really is a jack of all trades. Big time studio host, big time studio host for CBS Sports Network, um, but also gets out on the trail and calls a, a ton of play by play as well. So he kind of gets the best of both worlds. Um, and has done some radio throughout his career, too. So it kind of gets the best of all worlds. But where else would I start with a guy who works for CBS Sports Network, and consequently CBS, than the, uh, than the wardrobe? You know, when, when I got my box in the mail with a CBS Sports jacket, maybe the cool piece, coolest piece of mail I've ever gotten. Like, right up there with the package I got the first week I was at Sleepaway Camp as a kid. Like, and... and well, well above that. <laughs> it's, it's honestly, it's a very cool experience. So, hey, let's start there. Brent Stover, what was it like when you got your first ever CBS and CBS Sports Network blazer? To put that blue blazer on and wear it for the first time, what was that like? Here's Brent Stover on Play by Play Cast. I think the same as you, you know, my parents were really proud of me. Um, I almost think it meant more to them than me, uh, which is <laughs> awesome. I'm glad that they get to, to experience that and enjoy that. Um, yeah, it was kind of surreal at the time. Uh, it was kind of like, are you sure? You know, are you sure this is for me? Uh, and then I went and got them tailored, and they actually paid for the tailoring, too. And I was like, wow, this is uh, big time stuff right here. So I was pretty excited, just like you. I didn't know they paid for the tailoring. We're going to have to go back and get yeah. that. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, get that. Get that. <laughs> Get, get that picked up. Put that expense report in. See if they'll still do that. <laughs> How about that? I've gotten something out of this already. Uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, what's it like working for for CBS and for CBS Sports Network? Just from your perspective, uh, in the what eight years you've been there, um, seeing that company from the inside and and being a part of, I mean, kind of a behemoth of sports broadcasting. It's the best company. It's the best. It's the best people I've ever worked for. Um, and I realize it's easy to say that when <laughs> those are the people signing your paychecks right now, but uh, I, I don't know how else to, I mean, it's, it's like a dream job, you know? I mean, we get treated extremely well. There's huge support in terms of um, just surrounded with talented people, producers, uh, directors, production assistants, research people, the news team. I mean, 
everything is just, it, they run a tight ship, but at the same time, we get to have a lot of fun and there's a lot of leeway on CBS Sports Network to where we can try different things within reason and, and have some fun and make it into what I like to say is sort of a sports bar type atmosphere, you know, hanging out with a bunch of guys that you enjoy talking sports, watching sports and, um, and, and, and everybody gets a voice, you know, from, from the newest guy in the door at what might be considered the lowest level position to the people making the big decisions. I mean, everyone has a voice, everyone has a say, and it makes for a really fun and rewarding and, and I think productive atmosphere. Tell me about it. I mean, you even, you mentioned one of the first things was the, the information and the news team and the research. Uh, one of the things that struck me for the very first game that I did was, um, like it was Rhode Island LaSalle women's basketball. And I got an email that was four pages long with research notes. And I was like, holy heck. Um, yeah. F- from your perspective, uh, what's it like when you get those emails? Uh, how helpful are they to you um, when you get all of that kind of support information and support prep to what you would normally do? What I like to say is I can show up literally at tip off armed with that information and be fine. You know, like I would, it's true. if I wanted to, you know, like literally, you know how it is. We go to shoot arounds, which is appropriate and the, the way, the best way to do it. And we do our hours of preparation. But if I were in a pinch and I got thrown on a game at the last second, I'd be fine because of those guys. And I even think they've gotten better since they've shortened some of those packets down. That's been my big thing with like within studio. You know, we did four and a half hours of studio surrounding the tournament yesterday. Yeah. And I had everything I needed to know based on like three pages. Just <laughs> literally the most important stuff. Like they're really good about condensing it, knowing that I don't have time in the heat of the moment to like be looking down and turning pages. I need the most important notes and the most important stuff and the most relevant stuff. Uh, in a split second, and they have been awesome with that. Let's talk about the studio side of things too, because obviously you've got a very you've got a very diverse role in what you do, and it's kind of a best of both worlds. Um, tell me about your setup a little bit, and how I mean, I guess you you have to enjoy dabbling in doing a little bit of everything, kind of in your role, don't you? I do. It's awesome. I'm really lucky. Uh, you know, people ask me all the time, be like, "Studio better or game?" <laughs> And it depends on which, you know, if I'm with the game guys, you know, oh, definitely games for most. You guys are the best. And when I'm in studio, ah, oh, this is great. You know, we got 12 TVs in front of us. We eat nonstop and we talk sports, you know. Um, it really is 50-50 for me in terms of what I enjoy. And it's a perfect fit of getting to do both. I think this year I did, I called 16 games. And I probably, before March, March is different. March is all studio for me. I think that's kind of understood, but in the regular season of hoops, I think I had 16 studio days and 16 games. Um, and, you know, Ben Stauber, who, who makes those decisions, and, and Ross Malloy and, and that talent team, like they pretty much, you know, pretty much whatever I request or ask for, they do everything they can, you know, to, to take care of me on it. And, uh, and, it's, and it's been awesome. And it's been like a nearly perfect combination between the two and then after the final four i'll go to the philippines to do the world's strongest man and then i'll do some uh the crossfit games i'll do tough mutter x and some of those events allow me to get on big cbs as well and so i really they give me a lot of credit and probably more than i deserve for being sort of the utility guy that hey he can do anything and i appreciate that but at the same time i 
I feel really lucky that I get asked, you know, to do everything and, and that they trust me with all the different properties. What's it like to be that kind of utility guy and, and to be able to be able to dabble in a lot of different things, uh, to brush up enough on like if you're doing CrossFit games and, you know, having to know who Neil Maddox is and then turn the page and have to get ready for a tough mutter and that's not stuff that we're all kind of usually dialed into as regular sports fans. Um, but to be yeah. able to understand the people and actually what they're doing and speak about it intelligently uh, has got to be a fun challenge. It is fun. It is a fun challenge. And again, uh, you have these people around you, these research, um, these researchers. I mean, like literally you work with the best. Like I did Tough Mudder with the guy who the last however many years we've had the property produces the pre and post game show on CBS for Thursday night football. Like that's a big role that he's in. <laughs> yeah. And he's my guy on tough mutter. So like, think about that. Yeah. I could sit here and say, yeah, it's a lot of research and yeah, I do prep for it. And I feel like I'm, I'm well prepared, but you can't fail when you're working with people like that. True. So honestly, I, I hate to give you this. I kind of give you the short answer, but yeah, it, it's a really cool challenge. But I, I I believe it's actually made me better at like using my analysts, like leaning on my analysts. The guys I work with on CrossFit are hey, you can't even if you're at a CrossFit event, you can't even walk through a crowd with those guys because they're rock stars, <laughs> which is awesome. That speaks to the popularity yeah. um, of of CrossFit, but it also like so who am I? Am I going to sit up there on a show with those two gentlemen and? try to drop my knowledge. No, I'm going to like play ultimate traffic cop and, you know, assist man and just keep shoveling it off to them and let them shine and let them be what people want them, what, what people are turning on to see. Well, let's go down that rabbit hole uh, a little bit. Uh, how has it made you better? You mentioned uh, it, it's made you better using an analyst. How has that experience better prepared you to, to set people up or better taught you to set people up? Uh, in those situations, but also if you want to bring it back to, I mean, if you're doing a basketball game and, and uh, how it's informed just kind of mainstream sports, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I, I just think that the biggest thing, and, and this is probably a misnomer, I, I, I've said this before and I, I'm care, I try to be careful when I say it. I've gotten better since I, I got better, I believe, at play-by-play and studio when I actually prepared less, if that makes sense. Like, I think you can you can do these hours of preparation and then you get on air and you want so much to prove and to show how hard of a worker you are. And so you can spend a whole game looking down at your notes and saying uh, and getting all this stuff out there. But honestly, once the game tips off, and especially in a tight game, it's about the game and it's about your analyst. And so I think that's the big thing. Like I do most of my games with, with Bob Wenzel. I also do some games with Jordan Cornette. I did a game with Steve Smith. Like people are not turning on to hear me drop, drop all my knowledge. People are turning on to hear those guys and to watch those guys. And so getting out of their way, I think is a huge, is a huge deal. And by getting out of their way, I'm talking less. I'm picking and choosing just specific things to say, but not over, overdoing it with all my nuggets and stats and research and prep. Um, and I believe that it's made me better and it makes me pay attention actually more to what they're saying and reacting and following up to what they're saying. And also, you know, paying attention that, Hey, it's all about the game. It's all about these coaches and these athletes. It's actually not about me. It's interesting. You said that cause we've had this, uh, conversation, I guess, uh, or debate, I don't know, before on the podcast in terms of what is the right amount of prep? Um, how much prep do you have to do to feel comfortable 
that you know your stuff, but you're still doing everything you just laid out um, versus going into a game feeling a little bit naked? I think each game is different. Each situation, um, honestly, is different. If I've seen a team, like, here's my deal. Like, doing one advantage to doing studio and games is the prep is nonstop. And what I mean is, like, you just you have a working knowledge of you're just constantly. It's just natural. It's in, yeah, it's natural. Like, you, like you, you're a sports fan. What are you doing? You're watching games. Like, yeah. you're watching studio shows. It, you know, that's the beauty of what we get to do. We're really lucky to be able to do something we enjoy. And so, if I'm literally, when I show up to a studio, I'm well prepared. And it wasn't necessarily, oh, did I read every box score, every game? It's, it's literally that I'm inundated constantly, 24-7 with watching games and watching highlights and reading stuff. And it's not even coming from a place of, Oh, I have to, it's, Oh, well, this is just my life. This is just part of my life. You know? And I think that translates to calling games as well. If I'm doing a Wichita state game, which I did twice this year, like I pretty much watch Wichita state every game. Like I grew up an hour from there. All my friends love Wichita, you know, or Kansas state where I went to school or KU who, as a fan, I love to root against. I'm obviously objective when, I, when I'm doing a game or whatever, but, like, I'm going to watch KU every time they play. I'm going to watch Duke every time they play. So, um, I don't know. By the time you show up to a gym to do a game, I just feel like you, like, if I'm doing an SMU game, like, I've watched most of their games, or at least I've watched parts of most of their games, and I've, I've read up on them. And, and so it's hard for me to sort of put in – in the in the words or, or quantify how much how many minutes or specific hours that I spent doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, hundred percent. How do you in, you know in, in the same vein, how do you take that the studio mentality do you take it to a play by play role in terms of just being able to kick back and watch games with all of those guys and and maybe that's the way you set up an analyst the best way is you literally just have like a we're at the bar conversation with them? Absolutely. Or can you swing that like, too far in that direction too sometimes? You could. Like, I think you could be a little too relaxed, maybe. Um, I think the biggest difference is, is that, that excitement, that energy that you have to bring, in my opinion, from the opening tip-off um, without over-talking, which is a, a unique challenge. You know, I think when you're excited and you're jacked up about a game, <laughs> you, you, you're gonna be a ten, there's going to be a tendency to over-talk. <laughs> and so finding that medium where – where whatever you say, you really make it count. But I absolutely think it it, it comes across. I, I try to use my words judiciously when I'm calling a game, like not over talk, you know, get the heck out of the, you know, a shot goes through and then lay out. And either the analyst is going to react to it or nobody's going to talk. Um, and the crowd is going nuts. And we show a shot of the cheerleaders, you know, going nuts, all that. And, and I think in the same vein, like in the studio, if I'm sitting there with Wally Zerbiak, Brendan Haywood, and Swing Cash, and John Rothstein, like, those people want to, like, they know, they have forgotten more than I know about whether it be Rothstein and just basketball knowledge of, like, stats and history and, and nuggets. And, you know, he spoke with 100 coaches already that day. Or Zerbiak, Haywood, and Swing Cash, who have played the game at the highest level and can break down anything and know exactly how to react at a half time of the game and what they're seeing and what adjustments need to be made. So setting them up and just letting them go and getting out of the way is very similar to if I'm calling a game with Bob Wenzel and a shot goes through the net and I'm going to stop talking to let him describe what just happened or to let the, the, the scene, the, 
the atmosphere just kind of take over and let people enjoy that. You uh, you said one of my favorite phrases, which is the right amount of talking. Uh, <laughs> what what is the right amount of talking? Just in terms of and the balance of, uh, you know, still actually calling the game. Um, and maybe I I don't know. Is it can you pull back too much sometimes on the physical calling of the game? And it, when you talk about not talking too much, is that sometimes the filler around it? And obviously, I mean, you're not going to say Jones has the ball on the right wing, but still still calling the game and not laying out too much about action. I don't, does that make sense? Kind of where I'm going? Absolutely. No, I was doing a game and one of my bosses was there. I think it was uh, St. Bonaventure VCU, I think um, this year. And, and it was an awesome, if you've done a game at VCU, the atmosphere is electric always, regardless of how good they are. And obviously they've been good now, pretty good for a while. And I just, there was one where I was so excited to lay out and the, and the, but the crowd, he felt like I, I went too long. You know, like I didn't dive back in until like there was four seconds on the shot clock at the other end. And it would have been more appropriate to dive in probably at 12 or 13 on the shot clock. And obviously it's dictated. And if the other team came right, you know, right down and fired a shot, you're going to talk. But they didn't. They came right down and kind of ran their offense. And, and, and there have been times where I, I've waited too long to dive back in. So absolutely that's something and, and just because I say hey this is how it should be done doesn't mean you know you can some of the greats are Kevin Harlan or or Gus Johnson and they definitely talk more you know like they capture the excitement but they have such big game unique voices and such a reputation for hey when you turn on a Harlan game or a Gus Johnson game like you locked in because it just has a big feel to it yeah um I I probably couldn't get away with calling a game quite like they do hands on with as much talking, but and I don't mean that from a negative perspective. Obviously, like they're both probably broadcasting Hall of Famers. I'm just saying for me, for each guy, it's different. You know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. What you mentioned, your boss was at VCU too, um, or one of your bosses was listening to VCU. What what's the the feedback system that you get on games? Um, is it something where you, you kind of have to ask for it or will they, do they call you and say, Hey, caught this. This is our, this is our thought on it. And this is where we'd like you to get better. And, and how good is that um, as a, as a fallback to have, to know that, that somebody's watching and paying attention. It's awesome. I mean, they show up, they're at a lot of our games. You know, Ben Stauber is out on the road. Um, Molly Hillbull, Kirtan Desai, uh, you know, was at my St. Jones game a couple of weeks ago. Ross Malloy, obviously he deals with big CBS a lot and, and with, with the sports network as well. And um, I just think I'd probably get an email every month or something. Um, and we get, you know, as an entire talent group, they will send out notes halfway through the season for specifically towards play by play role and a panelist role and sideline role. And here's what we're seeing. Here's what needs to be different. And then specifically, there's something they don't like. This is what I love. You will hear about it immediately. And that's what I really appreciate. So, honestly, I don't hear from them that much on feedback, so I kind of assume that, hey, things are going pretty well and they're pretty pleased with it. But, um, you know, definitely at the game. Like at my Missouri Valley, I did the semifinals. In the first game, I saw Ben Starr afterwards, and I said, you know, were we too excited off the bat? He said, yep, you were. And he specifically said, hey, you don't need to be doing this, this, and this inside the first few minutes. He settled in quickly, but – you didn't. You were a little too jacked up off the top, you know. 
And honestly, I'll take that over not being jacked up enough. You know, nothing's worse than turning on a game and the guys <laughs> act like they don't want to be there. But it was just like perfect feedback at that moment. And it was like at halftime of the first game, so I was able to adjust for the next game and a half because I was doing both semifinals. Like that's what you want to be able to immediately adjust. How much do you watch yourself back still with everything else you've got going on? Not as much anymore. And I have time to do it. It's not enough. But I just, I, I found that I'm very negative towards myself. And so it's like a, it's, it's like yeah, self-defeating. It defeats. Yeah. Like I'll just, yeah. Like I'll just beat myself up, you know? <laughs> um, but I do some still. I'll, I'll, uh, la- definitely less than I used to, which is good for my mindset. I think. <laughs> um, what's, what's good to you? If you took a step back, like what's, what's good play by play. And I don't know if, if there's a person that encapsulates that or if there's just kind of basics and things that you look for that you maybe try to emulate, emulate yourself. Um, what stands out as quality? I think I and Eagle is really high quality. Play by play. That's what I strive for. Is that type. Without his, his big moments are incredible. Like <laughs> hey, his big moments are incredible. And the reason they are is because when it's not as big of a moment, he's not, he's not, getting overzealous and overexcited. Um, I, yeah, he's as good as it gets. I mean, that, I could go on. I mean, there's a, we're, we're living in a time, you know, where there's a lot of really good play-by-play guys. And there's guys that nobody's ever heard of that I think are really good. I mean, um, you know, I was just talking to someone the other day. And, and he doesn't fit that bill because everyone knows who Spiro Dita is by sure. now, obviously. He did the Lakers forever, the Knicks, and then he gets her. Like, I think he is out. I love watching his game. And I, I think he's phenomenal. But he's not one that maybe gets put in these top 10 lists or whatever, you know, for whatever it's worth. Sure. Um, I mean, uh, I just, there's there's a lot of, you know, Mike Tarico's fantastic and uh, Mike Green. I mean, I can go on and on. Uh, what is but, it? What's it about those guys in general, or, or is there like a is there a baseline to you of like what you want to hear when you turn on a game, just as a yeah critical ear? I, well, I like I'm not funny. I don't find myself funny, <laughs> but I find Iron Eagle very funny. Like I'll watch like the Brooklyn Nets are not good, right? We can agree on that. <laughs> but I'll watch games because he's funny. He's entertaining like, as hell, yeah. Know? Yeah, and I'm not, so it's like I wish I was. <laughs> um, uh, no, I enjoy. I, I think what I look for is just. A guy who's calling a game, but he's not making it about himself, and he's uh, he's not like giving in the way of it. He's just like a soundtrack. They just like a soundtrack in a movie. You know what I mean? Is there a secret to that? Because I feel like, particularly younger guys coming up, like we're all like I don't know. It's just the the kind of the way we're we're wired initially, and you, you almost have to kind of shed it as you go through the education process. Um, but what is it about? How do guys do that? How do they, how do you take yourself out of the picture? And that, that might seem like a weird question, but. Yeah. Well, to that level, I don't know. You'll have to tell me because um, <laughs> I'm not at that level. But um, I think there's a tendency um, and we all been through it and I'm still on my journey. Clearly, you know I mean? I, you know, could, could tell you a hundred ways where I want to get better and, and, and want to improve with the craft. Um, but uh, I would say there's a tendency to sort of, separate yourself because there's so many of us that are at the same level um, where it's all about just getting opportunity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like who's to say a guy like you couldn't be doing games on main CBS right now. You know what I mean? It's just, 
it's just about opportunity and, and all that. But I think there's a tendency when you're young to sort of separate yourself. And so then maybe you're, you're trying too hard to get too excited and talk too much so that people will notice you. Because if you sort of lay back and just kind of let it go, then you're going to fall into the same, you're going to, you're going to be looked at the same as everybody else out there. So it's tricky. I, I don't know that I have an answer on that, to be honest. I, I think you just have to sort of put blinders on and say, you know what, regardless of who's getting the opportunities or who seems to be the most popular announcers, you got to, you got to do it your way and, and, and not try to try to be too much or make it about you or, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't have a tool answer. You gotta find you gotta find your comfort level, but you can't try to be somebody else, and you can't try to overdo it just so that you can get the attention of people. Well, that's good advice, actually. I I like that a lot. Um, can I go big picture with you? If we can go way back, even um, how'd you get into all of this? Uh, was this something you wanted to do when you went to K State, or was it something that you found uh, while you were at K State? I knew I was going to do it when I was really little kid. Like I have cassette tapes. Uh, you're not old enough to know what cassette tapes are, but uh, stop it. I, I had a Walkman. <laughs> yeah. So there was these tapes. There was these recorders as well, even before Walkman, where you just talk right into it. So I'd, I'd be shoot eight, nine years old in in the basement, um, with the TV volume turned down in the summer, talk, you know, calling Cubs games, those day games, you know, with the volume down and. And I do it on any sport, any time. Um, I remember my mom, one time, there's, there's a funny tape. I wish I could find it where I was recording and I forgot to hit stop. <laughs> and my mom is upstairs and like, I've got my door closed and everything. Like I'm taking myself way too seriously. And I got a phone call, you know, cause back then I know you don't remember this, but people <laughs> actually had phones connected to their, to their wall, you know, with a, a cord. Phone call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she's yelling at me, Brent, is this so-and-so is on the phone, and I forgot to hit stop to hear me on a tape recorder saying, Mom, I'm calling a game, you know, like, and I forgot to hit stop. Was like, That's amazing. I was just way too serious about it. You know, like, I didn't have time to take a call. Like, I was calling a Cubs game, right, at Wrigley Field. On a, in the middle of July, you know, I'm sure there were 20 games under 500, important game. So I always knew I was going to do it, and then at K-State, I got locked in right away. And, and the advantage of going to a place like K-State was, we had a good student radio station, yeah. but there wasn't all this competition. Like my, my second semester, I was the sports director. Um, I just, I got really lucky to get in there at the right time. Are you a Tom Hedrick so disciple too? Is that all? Uh, well, he, he was a K state. He was, I was, I was K state. He was KU, but I, oh, okay. I almost went to KU. Yeah. Based on him, based on him. Cause he sat down with me and spent a couple hours with me. And, um, but I did end up at K state, but absolutely. Like he was huge for, for guys like uh, my friend Brock Bowen, he's done some ESPNU, and Nate Bucati, who's done some great stuff in Kansas City, and it was a epic guy. Um, but yeah, so I always knew I was going to do it. And then I was, but then I ended up doing TV, local TV in Topeka, Kansas, like Market 200 or whatever. But a great market because you're right by Kansas this year. You're, you're doing the Chiefs, the Royal, KU, K State. Like you're covering all these great teams, and you're on the air right away. And then and everything sort of always seemed to work out. I've been really blessed sure, to end up where it is now. And I'm 41 now, and I feel like I'm just hitting my stride, which is, you know, it's getting up there because guys like you, there's this new wave of incredibly talented kids, as I say, coming up that, that you know what I mean? And, yeah. and I'm, and yeah, I'm 41, but I also feel like I'm just kind of coming to my own as well, you know? 
you know, I'm 30 and I think the same thing about the people that are 22 right now. So I think it's like a never ending <laughs> cycle. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, how did you wind up at CBS after all that? Uh, like what, what clicked for you that sent you to, uh, to the national stage? I was at Big Ten Network in um, a uh, freelancer. And Fox Sports and was, too, right? Midwest? Yeah, Fox Sports Regionals in St. Louis and then in Pittsburgh. And I'm still doing some calling like Big 12 women's games for Fox Sports Southwest and as a freelancer, but most of my work was with Big Ten Network. And uh, But I wasn't really calling the biggest club. I was doing women's basketball, which is great. I mean, I still do women's games. And there's nothing – I mean, that's a great – it's become better and better in terms of, um, you know, people watching those games and those games being televised. But I wasn't getting the opportunity to football or, or men's basketball. And my studio, I was sort of the fourth or fifth guy down. And uh, I was getting great opportunities. But CBS came along. Um, I think Tom Hart had gone to ESPN. And uh, they sort of told me at the time, hey, you're going to get opportunities here. Well, at the time, they had the CBS logo, but they it just didn't feel like they were still – fully ingrained with CBS. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was sort of a, they were still way off the radar to me. It felt that way. But at the same time, they offered me more money and it wasn't a ton of money, but it was more money. It was less work, <laughs> you know, only like 50 days a year, but I was going to make like 20,000 more dollars. And I was, at that time I was like, Hey, and I can continue to live in Chicago. And honestly, at first I still wasn't getting like men's basketball or football and I wasn't really doing much studio, but like a year into it, I came out from March Madness and did some studio and they really liked it. And next thing you know, like two years later, they asked me to move to New York. Um, I, I get a big studio opportunity for college football and college basketball. And I started getting to do more men's basketball games. And then it just sort of, once I got in the door and, and just, started being able to prove myself to to these people. It's a very loyal company to the wear. And at the same time, like CBS more and more started to really take ownership of CBS Sports Network and really started to share talent. Guys like Adam Zucker, who's now fully ingrained at CBS. And, yeah. You know, Carter Blackburn and Andrew Catalan and, and and on the analyst side as well and sideline where just people are getting more and more opportunities to the point where it all just sort of came together at the right time. But honestly, when I signed on at CBS Sports Network, it didn't sort of have the cachet. And I still think we're working on the cable side towards that cachet, but it certainly did not have this type of cachet, which you sort of described with the, with the question you asked, to be honest. Uh, what's it like being part of CBS now, right? Like, I mean, you're on the Sports Network for four hours yesterday during March Madness. Like, can you just give me the inside of like, the crazy nature of this time of year for your particular employer? Well, it's awesome because you're right across the hall from where Greg Gumbel and Ernie Johnson and Charles and, and um, Kenny and all those guys are doing the shows. Um, you're literally 20 feet away and you're all your bosses and all the people you work with, it's just sort of a, a perfect intermingling. Um, <laughs> and even though obviously it's, it's very clear on the tournament that it's CBS, it's, it's TBS, TNT, and True TV. Um, we are very much treated within those walls as we are every bit a part of it because we're carrying all the press conferences and a lot of the shoulder programming surrounding the tournament at CBS Sports Network. So, like this is a this is literally the best time of year, not just because it's March Madness and we get to be on the air for four and a half hours doing this stuff, but that like as much as any other time of the year, you really feel like wow, this is this is you get to be part of 
you are part of CBS, you are part of Turner, and you are part of the NCAA tournament, and a large part of it. Um, if I can, uh, just you personally, I, I'm kind of a little scattered with it, but it, it came to mind, I don't know why, as I was talking. Um, you're, how, how did you, like, in the whole growth process, how did you get better? Like, how did you get... How did you get to be good enough to be at Big Ten Network and then good enough to be at CBS Sports Network? And, uh, like, what did you do along the way in terms of, uh, you know, I, I asked you about listening back to yourself, but even if it's, like, I don't know, voice work or talking to people, I like, have, what were there things that you did? Can you point back along the way and say, like, gee, this really helped me when I look at where I am now, um, you know, eight years ago or nine years ago? Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, um, yeah, uh, I, I I know I took voice lessons at one point, probably eight years ago, because um, for play by play I needed it to be deeper, one of the you know and more resonant, deeper. Um, actually, like it's still a process. Like I took singing lessons. Did you a really? Year ago. Okay. Yeah, I started playing guitar and singing. I kind of do that for fun on the side as a hobby, and. Uh, I, I, honestly, I think it's really helped me just within the last year. Um, and I think having, I think dressing better, I learned how to dress better uh, <laughs> without spending a lot of money. Um, and that probably helps you, too, doesn't when, it? No, I think when you dress well, you're more confident. Um, not that I listen. I, there's many guys out there that dress that, but I, I, I think if you look at sort of how I, um, you know, just getting suits tailored better to your fit and. Um, accentuating your positives. How about that? Like wearing colors that, like for me, I'm, I'm sort of a pale guy wearing darker suits, you know, blue suits. Um, <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, right? But, but yeah, I, I no, think, you're right. I think for me, I think everyone's path is different, but I think, especially in the studio, I feel like I started to dress better and started to get better ties and better stuff that, and, you know, I started to grow my hair out. I think if you look at pictures of me 10 years ago, I had a really short haircut, which, most a lot of sports guys do and they look great um for me it wasn't you know i just feel like the longer hair is better i mean this is i know this stuff sounds a little bit but getting like the right makeup shade uh when i'm out on the road when you don't have a makeup artist but like just getting and, and i think all of those things with tv that i didn't think were important sort of helped me build my confidence feeling like i had my stuff together how about that like like i think i became I think over time, as I've matured and gotten older, and I think it was a late bloomer anyway, but just kind of learning that, that if I'm, if I feel good about myself and I walk into a gym or walk into that studio and feel confident around these former athletes and these multimillionaires who have had so much success and feeling like, yeah, I'm every bit, I belong here. Um, I think self-confidence has been a huge thing for me, obviously without being cocky or it's been a huge thing. And I, that's what I tell people. Like you see kids when they're first learning how to do standups, I said, you got to own it. There's a reason you're in front of that camera. And even if you don't totally believe it, you got to act like you believe it. When you're the person standing in front of that camera and yeah, there's people around you, you're at a game and everyone's looking at you. You, you can't be embarrassed or nervous or feel like you might screw up. You got to own it and be confident with it. And I think that's a growth process for all of us who do what we do. I'm glad you went down that road because I was gonna, uh, <laughs> I was gonna ask you. Uh, I, I did a game with Julianne like a couple days, I think, after she had done one with you, or maybe vice versa. Uh, but then she Instagrammed a picture with you guys and said she was working with the best hair in the business. 
uh, Brent Stover. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was really funny in the moment. Well, no, I, I get too much credit for that. But, I, you know, I, I think what's, I, I, it's funny how, that, you know, like I grew it out long and all of a sudden we're like, oh, you have great hair. You know, see, I don't know. It's probably just being overly nice to me. But, um, no, I just, uh, for what it's worth, I just, I know that when I had really, I don't know. It's just such an interesting, I don't know. It, it, I feel like for me, um, I just, I feel like I matured, everyone matures at a certain time, right? And I feel like I've matured about a decade later than most people. You know, like I, I, I right now feel like I'm 30. Like I'm just starting to, yeah. starting to find myself in my 30s. You know what I mean? No, I, I, mean, I, re- I relate to that a ton. Indictment. No, I mean, I relate to that a ton too. Cause I mean, I still look like I'm 18 and I, I just started wearing clothes that fit me right. So I like everything right. you just said makes a whole lot of sense. Like you tailor that, you tailor your stuff and start to, and then I want to, let's do another one of these in a year. And maybe you do. I honestly, I haven't, you know, maybe you have that stuff figured out already, but I would say a lot of guys, kids, I think women maybe mature faster, which is good. Uh, I think a lot of guys coming out of college, probably there's a, there's a growth process to, to all of that stuff. Like really being comfortable in your own skin on the air and accentuating whether it's your body type with suits or, you know, how to do makeup and hair and all that stuff. I think that sometimes that is one of those things that might fall through the cracks a little bit on in even at some of the best TV or journalism schools. I could be crazy, but I, I think that, I don't know. Maybe you and I should do a classic. <laughs> I like it. A lot of really good advice on this podcast throughout now 93 episodes and 91 guests. I think that's right. 91 guests. We had two repeaters. That works out. Uh, what just happened with Brent Stover, I think is up there with some of the best advice we've ever had on this podcast in terms of finding yourself and finding your comfort zone. And like, as ridiculous as this may sound, like dressing well to do a game matters, not just in the eyes of how you look on camera, because that obviously matters, but like, I know I've got a lot of stuff I like and some stuff I don't love, but I still have and I still wear. And like when I put the stuff on that I don't love and I just feel uncomfortable, like it matters. You know, like football players always say like you got to like look nice, play nice whenever they get new fancy jerseys. Like there's something to that. There's something to that confidence and that swagger. And, you know, we talked about Brent's hair, like the best hair in the business. Um, But like there's something to that confidence and that swagger. That comes with, and that's all superficial and material stuff, but it's part of it. But it comes with age and experience. And when you start to find yourself and get comfortable, all of that is part of it. And uh, that's really the first time that anybody's mentioned it on this podcast. And I thought that it was uh, fairly sage. So I'm glad that that we went down that road. I didn't intend to, uh, but I'm glad we went down uh, that road today. Uh, anyway, that'll do it for us here on this edition of the pod. Good guest next week. Uh, Andy Mazur will join us, uh, former voice of the San Diego Padres. He's now on the broadcast with the Chicago White Sox. Uh, good conversation I actually had this week with Andy Mazur. Um, so he'll be coming up next week. Kate Scott also is booked for the podcast as well. Uh, you know her from uh, being a voice of the San Francisco 49ers preseason for the NFL. 
uh, Pac-12 Network as well. Kate Scott's all over the place, so she'll be with us uh, coming up on a, a later edition of the podcast also. Uh, keep it locked, though, online at PXPCast. Make sure if you're not subscribed to the podcast, if you're just streaming or downloading, give us a subscribe, and if you get the chance, uh, do leave us a star rating or review. Uh, certainly helps us going forward. Uh, helps people find the podcast, etc., etc., etc. Anyway, we are out of time, which is not a thing because this is a podcast and I'm recording it in my studio apartment, uh, but I just am out of things to say. So that'll do it. We'll talk to you next week. This is Play by Playcast. The song is by Marshmallow, and we are out.